I am Pastor Ed, one of the other pastors here at Faith Free Church, and good morning. Happy Father's Day indeed. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, if you came this morning with the expectation of hearing a feel-good, hallmark kind of Father's Day message, I'm sorry. Your expectation will not be met. But what I can give you is a perspective on how to deal with unmet expectations. You know, I define an unmet expectation as, you know, when life doesn't go the way you think it ought to. And I think fathers, mothers, high schoolers, junior hires, grade schoolers, we all have those kind of experiences. When life doesn't go the way we think it ought to and we're left with this disappointment and frustration. So this morning's message is not one of those hallmark Father's Day feel-good messages, but what I can offer you is reality. Reality, not in this one-hour time, but what we experience out in the real, real world. Last week, Pastor Derek introduced us to this book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's actually called an oracle, which means burden. This man, Habakkuk, God is communicating a message that he wants him to hear. And it looks like it's this dialogue, this conversation that's going between God and Habakkuk. We don't see it like some of the other prophetic writings where it was to be given to a tribe or a nation, even though it does get capsulated in words and passed on, certainly to the children of Israel and us, for all God followers. And Pastor Derek helped us see those first uh, passages, um, begin your journey to try to find Habakkuk there. And I will do the same. Habakkuk, what we find is, uh, you know, this should be refreshing and encouraging to you. Habakkuk is incredibly honest and forthright with God. Listen to what Habakkuk is expressing to God. He's uh, consternated because his own people don't appear to be following God. Look at starting in verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for your help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? My own people, God, are self-destructing. Verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. You know, what you're reading here is incredible uh, openness to speak exactly what's on his mind to God the Father. Therefore, verse 4, therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. God, what are you doing? It appears as though you are not doing anything. Now, today, we're going to look at God's response 
You may think for that kind of boldness to speak to God in this way, maybe God's going to breathe out fire and destroy Habakkuk. I want us to find encouragement. Uh, this, how God responds, is really a reflection of this God that we uh, worship. In essence, God's not working like Habakkuk thinks he ought to. Habakkuk has an expectation of this God. God is not meeting this expectation. He is frustrated. And so he expresses that. In today's challenge, Habakkuk is not just going to have to deal with that frustration of an expectation unmet, but now God's going to tell him, Habakkuk, you haven't seen anything yet. You thought life was bad. Because I didn't meet your expectation. It's going to go from bad to worse. That is God's response. How is Habakkuk supposed to hang in there? It's at this point, you know, if you're like me and you're just trying to kind of get your... Uh, uh, I envision it like a climbing a, a rock wall and you're, you're facing some unmet expectations, whether it's people or circumstances in life, and you're trying to grab a handhold, uh, and it's just a little handhold, just something to try to reconcile and find some kind of peace with this unmet expectation, and you just start to get your hands on it, and then God says, okay, it's going to go from bad to worse. You know, it's at that point, I guess this is a bad example of the cliff and trying to find a rock wall because my notes say, for me in life, I throw my hands up and say, I give up. Okay, on the rock wall, you better not do that. That's why I said it was a bad example there. But perhaps you can understand as well, unmet expectation compounded by things going from bad to worse, I want to throw my hands up in the air. I want to, I give up. Or apathy sets in. Negative. Intense anger. Well, let's exercise some things here from Habakkuk. Let's learn to exercise these in the small things of life. So that we are better prepared when we face the big things of life. Now, let me give you an example of a, a small thing in life, of a challenge that I experienced with unmet expectations. And just when I was coming to terms with these expectations, uh, this unmet expectation, things went from bad to worse. And the only reason I can talk about this, because it's in the past, it's not pulsating through my body currently. So I'm a little bit more sane in regard to my response to it. This last spring, Connie was spending you know, several weeks at the coast. We have a trailer. She loves the beach. She loves looking for agates. And she was over there with the plan on Thursday of spring break week. I came back. She was there alone. Thursday of spring break week, I was to take three of her grandkids, and we were going to go and join her and spend a few nights at the beach before all returning home. Well, a week before we were to go, the check engine light comes on my dashboard. And 
as it turns out, they did the diagnostic check, took it to two different garages. It needed the transmission rebuilt. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was a frayed wire that was causing an electric impulse to the transmission that was so hard to determine that it was being delayed being able to fix it. So all of a sudden I was wrestling because we may not be able to go or we may have to go late. My expectation, we were going to go with the grandkids on Thursday. It's going to be a great time. And now I had to deal with the disappointment and frustration. You ever have anything like that? And you just start to come to terms and then things go from bad to worse. My telephone, mobile phone quits working. So now I can't communicate as freely to Connie. <sighs> yeah, you get that. I won't use the words. Let my grunt speak it. This expectation is being wrestled away. Well, it possibly couldn't get any worse. That's already double negative. It can't possibly get any worse. Whenever you say it can't possibly get any worse, oh, some of you know. One of the grandkids got sick. When life doesn't go the way we want it to, it stinks. When life doesn't go the way we want to, and it continues to spiral downward from bad to worse, it doubly stinks. I would say Habakkuk, listening to God, would say it doubly stinks, God. But capsuled in Habakkuk's response is, it doesn't make life doubly stink any easier, but it gives a perspective that helps us to endure. That I want us to focus on that we might, when we find we're dealing with unmet expectations and life is going uh, in a downward motion from bad to worse, that we might exercise some of the uh, understandings that God gives Habakkuk so that we can endure when we face those circumstances in life. And like I say, whether it's a trip to the beach with grandkids, whenever you, you face that sense of life isn't going the way you want and, and you feel your frustration and anger, practice and these small things. So like in Habakkuk's case, with the nation of Judah, their actual existence their very life is on the line. My talking about a beach trip is pretty trivial, but yet it created a good challenge for me. The more we work some of these biblical principles in the small things, then as we incur the ebb and flow of life, the good and the bad, the broken expectations, we'll be better prepared. When we face unmet expectations, it's compounded by things going from bad to worse. It can create a crisis to our belief. You know, I thought turning my life over to Jesus Christ, things would get better, not worse. I thought if I prayed for people and circumstances, God would change them 
or change my circumstances. I thought following Jesus Christ would be easier. We have those expectations, and when they don't come about as we expect, and they go in the opposite direction, we may throw our hands up in the air and say, I give up. This isn't what I signed up for when I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. This morning, uh, we, we have here a great response that if we can exercise these things that I'll share with you, we can turn a crisis of belief when these unmet circumstances come, rather than allowing them to create a crisis of belief, they will create a challenge to our belief. And the reason I, I say challenge to our belief is because when we deal with unmet expectations and when uh, life seems to go in a downward spiral from bad to worse, it's hard. We have to be really, it's hard. It doesn't change the hardness as a follower of Jesus Christ of letting go, of accepting life the way it is, not as I would have it, and trusting God. So this message is not um, how to avoid that disappointment with life, but how to endure, how to push through it, how to actually leverage some of these uh, disappointments to purify us. That in the face of the unmet expectation and the frustration, that it might actually help you wean yourself off of the expectation and purify that your faith is placed in God the Father. Your faith not in your own expectation, but God the Father. So Habakkuk... Chapter 1, verse 5. Let's look at this amazing response that God gives. Uh, uh, Counterintuitive, perhaps, what you might think about this uh, grand rescuer. This grand rescuer. Three things. These are the three things that hold on to next time you face unmet expectation. That God is at work. That God works in unexpected ways. And that God works with the end in mind. Now, keep in mind, though, as we get to these, we got to understand a foundational point here that the Bible is written as a love story. Your perspective and how you come to the Bible, like even this passage in Habakkuk that we're going to look at, uh, that perspective and how you read will determine your understanding. The Bible is a love story. God is a personal, and he pursues because of love. He called the offspring of Abraham, the nation of Israel, into a love relationship. God says he's a pure God, fully devoted to his people. So likewise, that's what God wants from you. That's a dynamic relationship when it's mutual, reciprocal. And that's what... He gives you, that's what he asked for back, that it's undivided. But they are not. The children of Israel are not. They are divided. They have multiple lovers. Israel and all humankind have multiple lovers. The Bible calls Israel 
calls us adulterers because that's the truth about our own hearts. His love, though, his love does not allow him to give up. God's love is so great, he says that he will not let them go. He uses a variety of instruments, some that will surprise you, a variety of instruments, all for the purpose of pursuing and trying to woo you back to himself. This is how great God's love is. He will not let them go. He, Israel was forewarned about this in the Old Testament, even before, in Deuteronomy. It tells us, do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, from the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. If you do, I will pursue you. I will pursue you to the point of using your enemies to win you back. Deuteronomy 28, 25 on the screen. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way and against them and flee seven ways before them. The Lord loves you so much, so much, it sounds counterintuitive, that he will even allow your enemies to defeat you if that's what it takes to win you back to him. Now we wonder, well, you know, how could a loving God do this? How could a loving God do it? It does not make sense. You know, the best example I heard to better understand the tension here, because there is tension here, is when you as a parent take your child to the doctor for a wellness checkup, and the infant has to have an immunization shot. And since it's Father's Day, Dad, the doctor looks at you. Now you hold your child while I give him the shot. And so you knowing what's going to happen, you take your child, you restrain them, you hold them. You know what's coming. You see the length of that needle. You know it's going to be poked into their arm. The doctor gives the shot and your child lets out this incredible blood-curdling scream with big tears start flowing. And what is those tears saying to that father? Daddy, why? Daddy, I thought you loved me. At that point, nothing you say to that child will make sense. You, with your adult, not mine, will try to rationalize, objectify, to explain, and to. It will not make sense. Love compels that father or mother to hold the child, to allow the doctor to stick that needle in the arm. Sometimes the most loving thing a parent can do is to allow pain for a bigger purpose, for a more noble purpose. How we read the Bible. Is it a love story? Is, is the Bible as we read it, is it like that parent holding the child? And we come with that in mind when we come to passages. You know, how could God use an enemy to bring about judgment, to woo the nation of Israel back. 
largely how we read the Bible shapes our understanding. You know, one of the things that first got me thinking in this direction years and years ago was a book by John Etheridge called The Sacred Romance. To, to just try, you know, because I was seminary trained. I went and we, we look at it more from a, a cognitive, uh, um, a textbook kind of uh, approach. And that's easy to do. But li- listen to this counter to think about the Bible and reading it as a love story. For centuries prior to our modern era, the church viewed the gospel as a romance. A cosmic drama whose themes permeated our own story and drew together all the random scenes in a redemptive wholeness. But our rationalistic approach to life, which has dominated Western culture for hundreds of years, have stripped us of that. Leaving a faith that is barely more than mere fact-telling. Modern evangelical evangelicalism reads like an IRS 1040 form. It's true. All the data is there, but it doesn't take your breath away. As British theologian Alistair McGrath warns, the Bible is not primarily a doctrinal source book. To reduce revelation to principles or concepts is to suppress the element of mystery Holiness and wonder to God's disclosure, self-disclosure. First principles may enlighten and inform. They do not force us to our knees in reverence and awe, as with Moses at the burning bush or the disciples in the presence of the risen Christ. So it's with that as a backdrop, we look here at Habakkuk and we interpret this as God's love that God is expressing his love. And the first thing we see that God is at work, look at uh, verse 5. God is at work. Uh, You know, Habakkuk, I don't understand. You're not listening. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch, Habakkuk. Your expectations, what you expected of me are not being met, but you interpret that to mean I'm not working. He's saying, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in those days that you would not believe. You would not believe it. Life's not going the way you thought, Habakkuk. But it's the furthest thing from the truth that I'm not working. Habakkuk, you're blinded by your expectations. God's inviting him to take a step back as hard as it is for you, as hard as it is for me, to take a step back from those expectations and say, God, what are you doing? God's saying he's working. Uh-uh. Be utterly amazed, Habakkuk. How do you determine if God's working? Especially if you're blinded by your expectations. You have such a tenacious hold on to those. How do you determine if God's working? Typically, if God is meeting your expectations for him, do you assume then God is working? Ah, yeah, life is good. I'm getting what I want. I prayed and this happened. God, you're working. But when we lose our jobs, wayward children, a diagnosis, and God doesn't respond the way we want or expect, Do we assume then God's not working? 
See, this was God's message to Habakkuk. I am working. That's a given. You can have confidence. You may not understand. You may not like it. But I'm working. I'm working. When we face expectations and life is going from bad to worse, as hard as it is, and this is why I say it's a challenge, as hard as it is, rehearse, somehow God is working. God is working. Second thing here, that God works in unexpected ways. God works in unexpected ways. Look at verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. Now, some uh, translations say the Chaldeans. You know, this is a population, a, a rising uh, empire, a rising force in the Mesopotamia area. And there were several tribal groups that were conglomerated there and became forces amongst the Babylonians. The Chaldeans were a part of them. But this force, and depending on when Habakkuk's written, uh, it may not have been widely known the, the, um, to the extreme that Babylonia will rise to. Because Assyria, the world was dominated by Assyria, they are on the decline. And now there's this vying for domination between Egypt and the Babylonians. And so God is telling them, hey, you know, you, you think I'm not working. I am. I am raising up the Babylonians. The Chaldeans, if your version says Chaldeans, they were sometimes, they used synonymously, they were kind of the military arm of that Babylonian empire. I'm raising them up. See, God, you're going to use an enemy as your way of trying to woo us back? God works in unexpected ways. In the Isaiah 53, we call that the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, and let me just uh, briefly tell you, that's where, you know, Jesus Christ comes as a servant. He's not uh, um, majestic. He doesn't look as you would expect. He comes as a child. He's going to be a suffering servant. And he starts out that whole chapter that's going to describe this Messiah who's going to come, Jesus Christ, the one that we worship at Christmas in the manger. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, the deliverer, the great rescuer. He's not going to come as you would expect. I, God, I work in unexpected ways. In Acts 13, 38 to 40, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then, through Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So right after he proclaims the role of this great deliverer, the rescuer, Jesus Christ, in verse 41 of Acts, 
he rehearses this passage in Habakkuk. You would not believe it. It's not going to meet your expectations. Because I work in unexpected ways. I work in unexpected ways. I will use all sorts of tools. I am that fiercely in love with you to try to call you back from your divided ways into the love relationship with me. It hurts me just like that parent holding the child when the doctor gives a shot to stand there and to have that role. Likewise, it is for God. It is for God. Then the last thing um, I want us to rehearse when these challenges come and disappointments and frustration, God works with the end in mind. God works with the end in mind. When you are frustrated by unmet expectations and circumstances go from bad to worse, creating doubt and a crisis of belief, let's remember God has his eyes on something else. You and I have our eyes on today, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe my life. God's job is much bigger. God has his eyes on from before beginning to end. He sees the big picture. I define the end when I say the end and that God works with the end in mind. I see it from revelations. When we read there, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth has passed away. The end with everything littered in, strewn in our path with unmet expectations, things going from bad to worse. The end is Revelations 21.3 where he says, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. That's what God has in mind. God works with the end in mind and that's why in the present moment there appears to be, certainly from our limited perspective setbacks disappointments frustrations you know I think a prime example of this would be the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the three days that his body is in the tomb it appears from a human perspective uh, Jesus Christ certainly did not meet the disciples expectation this is defeat but it's out of death it's out of death. What appeared to be defeat or a step backward was actually an advancement, a movement forward at that the end actually emerges out of. It becomes a door to the end. God tells Habakkuk things are going to get worse because I have the big picture in mind. Rehearse that. I see the beginning to the end. Uh, I, I have a You could look at this passage. You know, you are putting these Babylonians uh, who are, are impetuous. Look at them and show the chart where uh, this is how the Babylonians work. We read there in verse um, 6 I am raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people. They're hasty people, they're sweeping across the whole earth. 
to seize the dwelling places, not their own. They're going to seize. They're going to impose themselves upon the people. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. That's why I put arrogance. This is how the Babylonians work. Impetuous. They're they're going to impose themselves. They're arrogant. Jump down to verse 10 there. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps. They laugh. They scoff. They are such a power. They are such a force that if they want it, they get it. That's why I say immediate. Whatever they want at the moment. They capture. They take captive, we read there at the end of verse 10. And you can see the contrast, how God works. He's patient. He compels by giving a a greater vision of the end. A greater vision of the end. No more tears. No more suffering. A new heaven and a new earth. It it compels. Humility, long term. He doesn't take captives, but he frees. For God, today's work is not the end, but a stepping stone toward the end. The end for God is not that this life goes perfect, that you get everything you want, that life is pain-free. God's work is far greater. His work is for your affections. He wants your heart to be fully devoted to him. God is preparing you for today, for that day that God will dwell with his people and we will be his. God works with the end in mind, so we must. God works with the end in mind, so we must accept unmet expectations. We must wrestle through those, counterbalancing them with the understanding of this great God. We must accept at times circumstances will go from bad to worse. God works differently because he's not building an empire. He's building a community of people. He is working not to win a fortress of horses and land. But he's working for people and their devotions and affections. While this Father's Day, I can't promise that all your expectations in life will come true or that life won't go from bad to worse, what I can promise you is an answer for your guilt. God is wholly devoted to you. We are guilty, divided affections. Seeing our affections for Christ increase Seeing your affections for Christ increase does not come from strength like the Babylonians. It comes from sacrifice or surrender. Are you willing to surrender to the God revealed in Habakkuk who's at work and that he works in unexpected ways so you may not see it? And he also works with the end in mind. We see that very last verse, verse 11 the Babylonians, then they sweep past like wind and go on, anything they want. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. 
Are you willing to surrender your expectations and walk in faith to accept what Jesus Christ did at the cross to resolve your guilt? That is what I can offer you today. Let's pray. Father, Habakkuk certainly is very timely, very timely, God. The nature of man does not change. What Habakkuk wrestled with is exactly what I wrestle with. Help us, God, to hold lightly to our expectations, to be willing to surrender them with an understanding that, God, you are at work. God, you work in unexpected ways. You're a loving God, and you work with the end in mind. And for that, we can come, and even in the face of the challenge and the emotional difficulty wrestling through some of those unmet expectations and circumstances bad to worse. May we find that handhold that will strengthen our faith, that will bring about an endurance through it. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.